Good morning, everybody. Go ahead and pull out your Bibles and something to take notes with. Kiddos, y'all can head out. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. Chris, thanks for leading us. You're awesome. Way to go, even with a voice that's fading. Super pumped for our worship team recording their songs on Thursday night. So fun. I hope that those of you who are here on Thursday had a great time. Can't wait for that to... Whoever does all the stuff for that, it's going to be awesome when it's done. All the knob twisting and stuff that happens. Matthew uh, chapter 24. Um, something to take notes with this morning. I'm excited to share with you this morning. We're going to pretty much jump right in. I'm going to share with you a message this morning. Just It's pretty straightforward. Easy title. Living for Jesus' return. That's what we're talking about today. So write that at the top of your notes, stand up to your feet for the reading of the word of God, living for Jesus' return. Matthew 24, starting in verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were... The days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, Jesus says, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for your presence here with us this morning. We confess your name and that we are gathered here in your name. And in that confession, we believe that you are here with us as you promised. We pray that you would unify us in your holy name We invite you, Holy Spirit, and ask that you build us up and build us together and mature us into Jesus Christ. 
Thank you for your living word. We pray that you would speak to us, that every single one of us would hear you this morning. And we just, we remember that song we sang, Lord, your eyes like fire, your hair white, Lord, your voice like waters. Would you speak to us and reveal yourself to us again and more and deeper and all of that. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and take a seat. Last week... If you were here at church, we uh, discussed a light question that's being tossed around in our world today. Do we stand with Israel? We kind of started with that question, but then dissected it to reveal that it's a pretty imprecise question that doesn't really mean anything concrete. It's one of those questions that just means whatever the person asking it means at that time. And in that way, it's sort of tough. Um, feels like getting handed that question feels like getting handed 100 hand grenades sometimes. For our time together, what we did last week is that we kind of set aside the political and sort of philosophical elements of that question, and we focused on the theological and eschatological foundations of the question. What, is, what, are, what are we really asking about God? What are we asking about the end times and those questions as Christians? So we narrowed it in, and I, I shared some of my beliefs on those things, and we talked about how um, some of those things that we talked about are things that... Good Christians have great disagreements about, uh, but that doesn't mean we have to divide over all of those things. More. We don't have to divide. We don't have to divide over these things. Okay. Last week, uh, so last week was a bit of um, a, a dipping of the toe, you could say, in waters that um, I don't generally try to wade into, especially from the pulpit, in the sense of just sharing my view on something that isn't super essential, um, in the sense that there are different reasonable perspectives on these things in the church. So this morning, what I want to do is stick with the normal program and remove the toe from said waters. And get really back on firm, solid ground upon which we all must stand as Christians. Last week, things we talked about, and I'm referencing, you know, there are different perspectives and opinions on some of those things. What I mean is there are different perspectives and opinions concerning the, the how of Jesus' return, the when of Jesus' return, the where of Jesus' return. But as Christians, we all confess he is returning. He is returning. And this is what Jesus is speaking to in Matthew chapter 24 this morning that we read. Verse 36, Jesus begins to speak to us about his return. And he says this in verse 36, but concerning that day and hour. So as we get into today's text, we need to understand Jesus is talking about that day. An hour. What, what day and hour? Well, look up a few verses before 36 to chapter 24, verse 30. Jesus is in a long kind of monologue here. And in verse 30, Jesus himself is speaking of that day and hour. And he says, then will appear. Sounds pretty certain. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Revelation 1 verse 7 says essentially the same thing. Behold, he is 
coming. He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. In the midst of the things we can discuss, we all must confess, behold, he is coming. And Jesus speaks to us about his coming, but concerning that day and hour, that day and hour of his coming. In the Apostles' Creed, us Christians confess, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. We confess together, apart from the discussions we may have of the how and the when and the where, he is coming. He is coming. Jesus, teach us about this. What does the Lord have to say? I think a good first question, again, one we've sort of started to delve into, kind of, but not totally exactly, but moving on. One reasonable first question, Jesus is coming again. Well, I'd like to know when. Sounds important. Anybody else? When, Lord, when, when might you be coming? Well, verse 36, he says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Interesting. Another example of Jesus not telling me what I think would be helpful for him to tell me. Jesus has this incredible talent for piercing through the things that we think are important, but that he says are distracting to keep us what's actually focused or to keep us focused on what's actually important. And it's like, but concerning that day or hour, it's like he knows us or something. We're like, yeah, when is that day and hour? He's like, no, shh. No one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, so don't ask them. Nor the Son, but the Father only. So Jesus focuses us right away. You have to do this with your kids. Like you see something, that, like you're about to say something, and you know they're about to get distracted by what you're about to say. So you have to think, how am I going to pull them back before I even say the thing that I know they're about to get distracted by? Keep them focused on the main thing. Our Father in heaven. Holy is his name. Amen. <laughs> so Jesus is making it clear that he is returning. Okay. Jesus is keeping us focused on the main thing. He will return. And Jesus also makes it very clear right now that he is not telling us when he's going to return. So I just want to say, in all of the different perspectives and conversations about eschatology and the return of the Lord, one thing that I do want to say strongly and honestly is that I want to encourage you to do yourself a favor and, frankly, everybody else a favor. And um, don't buy any book or go to any conference by any chump predicting they've got the day or the hour figured out. Just skip it. Those are the conversations you know to skip. <laughs> 
lots of other things we can talk about. That one right there, just not going to be helpful for you. So just there's that. So Lord Jesus, when, when, when are you coming? He doesn't tell us. Okay. Sounds important, but he says, move on. So he continues to talk. So Jesus, uh, skips the question we want to ask and begins to discuss the questions we ought to be asking. Praise the Lord. So he is returning. So the next question he starts to address, that you, you can infer the question because he's giving the answer before it was asked, is, okay, Lord, what, what's it going to be like when you come? What, what, what's that going to be like? And Matthew 24, 30 and Revelation 1, 7 give us some pretty fascinating things to consider. I mean, when I read these verses, when then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes on earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. It's like, I, it'd be one exercise that would be fun to do right now. Be like, okay, quick, everybody, draw a picture of that. And let's compare notes. Like, what is that going to be like? Or what, do you, what exactly do you mean by coming on the clouds? How does one come on clouds <laughs> such that every tribe sees at one time? Can you kind of tease that out a little bit more for me? Maybe a diagram or a felt board? What's this going to look like? So, but he doesn't do that. He doesn't tease that out more, even though that's my question. How does one come on clouds? He's like, no, that's not the what that you need to be asking. It, it is very fun to think about, and I, I think that's a good exercise to imagine what that, might, what that might be like. But here Jesus talks about what the day of his coming will be like, and not in the sense of what it will be like when he comes on clouds and how exactly that works, but he begins to speak to us about what it will be like concerning the environment where he comes to. Verses 37 through 39 in chapter 24. He says, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the son of man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the son of man. In the days of Noah, God had Noah building an ark. This ark, Noah and this ark, were a testimony to people who had turned from God of God's existence. It was a testimony that God is real, God speaks, God is near, God is present, God sees, God hears, God knows, and God judges. That's what Noah and the ark were shouting it was a demonstration to the nations that they needed to repent and come near to God. And instead of heeding that sign and that warning, people turned and rejected, rejected it, rejected all of it. No, I, I, don't, I don't need that God who says, who, who you say sees and knows and hears and is near and is coming and judges. I don't need his testimony. I don't need his rescue. I don't need his way out. And instead, they spent their lives on life and all the things. I don't, I don't need that. I need this. 
I need this, and instead of giving myself to him and to that, I will give myself to this and these things. I will soak up the pleasures of this life. I will orient myself completely around this temporal existence that I am finding very nice. And they did that. The, the, the people in, in the day of Noah, they, they made that choice all the way up to the day that Noah finally entered the ark and the rains began to fall. They were told about what would happen, but they chose to know nothing about it. They, they were told this is coming, but they rejected it and were swept away by what was promised. Jesus tells us that that day and hour, that these days and that final day are similar to those days. God is building his church. He has raised up his son as a witness and as an invitation to the nations to repent and to be saved. We, the church, the people of God, we testify with Jesus to the world that judgment is coming and reconciliation is available. There is a God. He sees. He knows. He is near. He hears. He is coming. And he judges. He will come to judge the living and the dead. But Jesus says that when he comes, it will be like it was in the days of Noah. There will be a witness and a testimony to the Lord, and there will be those who have rejected him in favor of their sin, and they will be swept away. And he continues kind of on this thought in sort of a different way he takes the same line of thought slightly different direction he says it'll be like the days of Noah where there was a flood and the lost were swept away and in verse 40 and 41 then two men will be in the field one will be taken and one left two women will be grinding at the mill one will be taken and one left it will be like it will be like that it will be like it was in the days of Noah everything will be as normal until it's not He is coming. He is coming. And Jesus is really getting after this point. He doesn't tell us the day or the hour. He doesn't tell us some of the questions that we might ask or the answers to some of the questions we might ask. But what he is trying to get us to ask is not, okay, well, Lord, how and when and where He's trying to get us to ask the question, okay, so how do we live for that day? How, do you see him pulling you to that question? After all of that, fear of God and wow, I thought the Bible was supposed to be nice and kind and gentle and Jesus, ah. I mean, it's funny, but it's not, you know, it's like, ah. Jesus is pulling you to this question. Okay, Lord, you're coming. I've made that confession. And what Jesus wants you and me to do is orient around, okay, then how do I live in response to that reality? Verse 42, Jesus begins lining out 
what it looks like to be those living for Jesus' return. He tells us he is returning. He tells us what he deems necessary for us to know about that day and hour. And now he begins to answer the question we ought to be asking in verse 42. Therefore, stay awake. The first thing that Jesus talks about concerning living for Jesus' return is stay awake. Stay awake, my friends. Stay awake. If you've been around our church for any amount of time, you've probably heard us talk about white noise. You know, this is something that, uh, as Heather and I were praying about moving here back to Indianapolis to start the church, asking the Lord to you know, lead us, and we've, we believe that the Lord started to talk to us about this kind of this concept, this idea, this sort of spirit of white noise. You know, you, you, I don't know about you, but we're, we're pretty committed in our family to white noise for the sake of sleep. Everybody's got a white noise machine in their room. We've got one, sometime too. You know, white noise, it puts you to sleep. It drowns out everything that would keep you awake with... It's sort of counterintuitive. It's a louder noise, but it's just kind of a drone. And, and there's something about this loud noise that sort of just lulls you to sleep. And most of the time, I think, praise the Lord. <laughs> Except if we're talking about this. We can all experience the white noise of life that lulls us to sleep. It's the days of Noah. It's the pleasures of life. It's the routine of going here and there and everywhere. And like I said, everything's just so normal and we do what we do. And there's nothing wrong with doing what we do, but sometimes it puts us to sleep. And we can get so comfortable with that because we like sleeping. I like to sleep. Sleep is a great thing. But spiritually, we can get lulled to sleep by the white noise of life. Another day, another night. Another day, another night. Another high, another low. Another good thing, another bad thing. And it's always been like this and it will always go on like this. And let's not rock the boat. Let's not get too crazy. Let's just stay comfortable. Jesus spoke to white noise in this way in Mark 4, verse 19. He's talking about the parable of the sower, and he talks about the thorns. The word gets sown into the soil. The seed gets sown into the soil, and it grows up. But he speaks of these thorns that choke it out. He tells this parable, and he explains the parable, and he says, These are the thorns. It's the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things. Choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. This is white noise, isn't it? It's the cares of the world. There's so much to do. And there's so many things to see. And people to know. And schedules to keep. And that's not a bad thing. It can just put you to sleep, though. It's the deceitfulness of riches. It's just... That lull of like, I know, I just need just one more step. One more dollar. One more thing. One more promotion. It's just, I'll get to that when I'm after this one last thing. And the desires for other things. <laughs> Sometimes I don't go after the kingdom because I want something else. 
Living for Jesus' return means staying awake. How do you live for Jesus' return? Stay awake. Stay awake. Stay awake. Have you tried that? It's hard. It's hard staying awake, especially with a white noise machine on. It's hard to stay awake. But Jesus is near. And he doesn't give you commands to pull off in your own strength. Praise the Lord. Stay near to the Lord Jesus and he will keep you awake. Sam talked in the Hebrew series about drifting. Hebrews chapter 2, right? We just drift. You just, we just drift. You know, and it's the drifting and all of a sudden we're falling asleep. But stay near and he will keep you awake. He who is faithful will be faithful even when you are not faithful. Stay near to Jesus and he will keep you awake. What does it mean for Jesus to keep you awake? Well, one thing, there's, there's lots of things, but a couple of those things would be things like the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Oh, it's so aggravating. But he's keeping you awake. I know. None of us like being shaken awake. But we need it. It's his grace and his mercy to convict you. When he's poking you and he's prodding you and he's turning the lights on in the areas and the rooms in your heart that you'd much rather prefer to keep dark. And it's, ah, I don't want to see that. Ah, I was so comfortable. I was, the pleasures were such a nice dream. It was such a nice false reality that nothing really mattered. We were just happy. And everything was fine until he convicted me. Now I have to change. And he's keeping you awake. Praise the Lord. Love the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And, and how do you stay awake? You walk out your repentance. It's not just like, oh, okay, I'll say sorry to get this thing off my back. No, stay walking. It's hard to fall asleep when you're walking. Walk out your repentance. Work out your salvation. I liked it more when we talked about Sabbath. Work out your salvation. Stay on the narrow road of sanctification and he will keep you awake. It's not just hard to fall asleep when you're walking. It's hard to fall asleep when you're walking on a narrow road. On a balance beam in some sense. That'll keep you sharp. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Stay abiding in the vine. Let the life of God to uh, flow in and through you. Keep your heart soft and warm by not losing your first love. These things will keep you awake. Stay awake. Verses 43 through 44. He continues, but know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. He would not have let his house be broken into. Verse 44, therefore, therefore, because Jesus is coming, because you do not know when, and he has not told you, because it will be like in the days of Noah, because he is coming and it is final, because he is judging the living and the dead, therefore, you also must be ready. Stay awake and be ready. Be ready. Be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Be ready. I mentioned last week, Revelation 3, verse 11, 
Or the Lord Jesus, he can, he, he's speaking similarly. He says, I'm coming soon. Hold fast. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Sounds a lot like 43 and 44. Hold fast. Be ready. Don't let somebody break into your house. Don't let anybody seize your crown. Be ready. Come on. Guys, say, stay awake. Guys, you got to be ready because I'm coming. I'm coming soon. Don't let your house get broken into. Don't let anybody seize your crown. I hit on this last week, but this is important to understand. You're not just getting a crown someday. You, Jesus says, hold fast to what you have. The crown of eternal life. Hold fast. Be ready. Don't let anybody steal this from you. He says it here in Matthew 24. He says it again in Revelation chapter 3. It's like there's an enemy or something that must be trying to steal and kill and destroy. And he says, be ready. Don't let it happen. Hebrews 12 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race set before us. Stay awake and be ready, my friends. Sin and distraction, they weigh you down in the race that is set before you. They put you to sleep and they make you unfit and they make you unready. There is an enemy and he is trying to steal your crown from you. He is trying to steal you away from the eternal life that Christ has come to give you and give you more abundantly, not just when you die and go to heaven, but this life of abiding in the vine of Jesus Christ, bearing fruit for the glory of God the Father. Hold fast and don't let anybody break into that. Be ready. Be ready. Your Lord says, be ready. And he warns, this is like what, what Revelation, if you read that, he's just shouting about compromise and warning against letting somebody steal your crown, letting somebody break into your house. And he's telling you that compromise in the face of trial, compromise in the face of hardship, compromise in the face of confusion and of persecution and of disagreement and disillusionment and disappointment, compromise will seize your crown. Hold fast. Do not live such that you are found flat-footed on that day. Run your race. Do not live such that you are found with enemies in your house on that day. Do not live such that you will be found with no crown on that day. Yes, sometimes waiting can feel so long. And sometimes, yes, things can get so difficult. And no, you don't know that hour to expect and where you will find relief. But he is coming. Hold fast. You must be ready. This is how you live for the return of Jesus. Be awake and be ready. How do we be awake and ready? What does it look like? What does it look like? Jesus continues in verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? Be, stay awake, be ready, and be faithful, my friends. How do you live for the return of Jesus? I hope everything I said was great. 
But if you just take one thing, what does it mean to live for the return of Jesus? Be faithful. Be faithful. He's, oh. Be faithful. He says, who is the faithful and the wise servant? If you haven't grasped that yet, you want to be that guy. That's what we're going for. Faithful and wise servant. Who is that? That servant is whom his master will find doing what he was given to do by the master when the master returns. There we are. There we are. Let us be about his business when he comes. Well, what has the servant been given to do while he waits for the master to come? Verse 46 is so interesting. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Sorry, verse 45. Uh, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at their proper time? What has the servant in this instance been given to do? He's been He's been given the opportunity to oversee the household of the Lord and to give food and drink to his fellow servants. I think it'd be fair to say to his brothers and sisters. Who is the faithful and the wise servant? The one who can be trusted with a little and therefore will be trusted with much. Verse 47 says, truly I say to you, the master will set that servant over all his possessions. So who is the faithful and wise servant? The one doing what the master gave him to do. Praise the Lord. Who is the wicked servant? Jesus continues because he is adamant about us understanding these things. Who is the wicked servant? The wicked servant is the one in verse 48 who says to himself, my master is delayed. And he begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. The master of that servant will come, he will still come, on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here Jesus describes what it looks like for us to be those living for Jesus' return, and he uses this parable of living as faithful and wise servants. A faithful and wise servant first understands that to be a faithful and that to be faithful and wise as a servant, he must know he has a master. You must know you have a master if you want to be a faithful and wise servant. This is essentially the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the core of living for Jesus' return. To be faithful and wise is first to love him. Love him with everything. To be faithful and wise and live for the return of the Lord, you must live mastered by the Lord. This is what we're trying to go for. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot have other gods before him. You need to be holy. You need to live out your repentance. You need to respond to his conviction and be sanctified. You need to be surrendered and submitted to his leadership. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. Jesus is master, and living for his return begins with these confessions in this reality. Secondly, a faithful and wise servant understands that he has a task. He has a task. Being mastered looks like something. Being mastered looks like something. You look like you're mastered by whatever you're mastered by. 
And sometimes it's more obvious to others than it is to you. Being mastered looks like something. A servant shows he is mastered by being about his master's business. Loving God looks like something. Loving your neighbor as yourself looks like something. Abiding in Jesus looks like fruit. Holiness looks like conviction. It looks like confession. It looks like repentance. It looks like endurance. It looks like fruit. Living mastered isn't just a confession that you make. Your lifestyle ought to confess it. You will know you are mastered when you are about your master's business. This is why we talk about our five values so much. They're not some checklist for getting into heaven. They're just guardrails that we're using to try to stay faithful and wise. Faithful and wise as we wait for the return of the Lord and we aim to stay on task for his kingdom in this life. It looks like, like personal devotion and, and making disciples and life group and being committed to the body of Christ and corporate gatherings and life on mission. These are the things that our master is about and I would like for him to find me about those things on that day and that hour. If we want to be the ones who rejoice at his coming, we must be awake. We must be ready. And we must be faithful. Let's just say it. It is terrifying that not all will rejoice at the coming of the Lord. What does it mean to be wise? Well, the Bible says that it's the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. How do you live ready for the Lord's return? No, he's coming. And you're not entitled to anything. And he says, come. We've talked a lot about unity this year. And over the last seven years as a church, about how Jesus is building his church and he is returning for his bride. And one thing that I just want to make sure we hit on before we're done this morning is that in this parable that I believe Jesus must have been very intentional to say at this very specific time is that Jesus takes it very seriously whether you aim to build with him what he is building or whether you aim to tear it down. Being about his business wasn't just about him. He talked about it in the context of your fellow servants. Another way we could say it is his other children. He takes very seriously whether we aim to join him in purifying his bride that he is returning for or whether we aim to join his enemies in slandering and dividing her. Let us be about his business. Let us be about his business, building his church, catalyzing his fellow servants, preparing for his glorious return. I want you to read or turn with me to the last page of your Bible. Revelation chapter 22, verse 12. Revelation 22, verse 12. Again, Jesus speaking. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one 
for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I want you to stand. prayer team is going to come and be available for anything you may need prayer for this morning. I just want us to turn our attention to the bright and morning star. Holy Spirit, I'm asking that whatever it is that you have to say to each one of us this morning, we would hear it. I'm praying, Lord, that whatever you would have to say to us collectively this morning, we collectively would hear it. We pray that we would be captivated by you. We pray, Lord, that we would be focused on the things that you tell us to focus on and not distracted by the things that you try to help us not be distracted by. We love you and we do confess you this morning. And we want to be about your business. We want to be about your business in the church and we want to be about your business in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces in our families, in our friend circles and in the nations of the earth Lord we pray that we would be a people that when you come you would find us crying out to you, come Lord Jesus come we pray Lord that when you come you would find us crying to the nations to the thirsty and the hungry, come Prepare our hearts, prepare our lives, and draw us near to you. In Jesus' name.